Look at John uh, chapter 1 and uh, some various verses in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. Uh, we looked last week at the end of John, almost the end. We're in chapter 20. There are 21 chapters altogether. Get that sorted out. Um, and uh, John said why he wrote the Gospel, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing this, that we would have life in his name. And so we look at how John accomplishes this, uh, his purpose for writing the gospel in view of the fact that three other gospels were already written. The first was written about 45 years prior. Um, so his readers uh, may have had at least one, if not all three of these other gospels. And John writes this gospel to this purpose. And so we look at verses in chapter one this morning uh, about how Jesus is the Christ as we seek to discover what that means. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word eternally true. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now look down to verse 14. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now down to verse 19, verse 19 of chapter 1. Verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Christ. Now look down to verse 32. Chapter 1 still, verse 32. Verse 32, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now, verse 40, verse 40. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the, from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael answered, declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, 
You are the King of Israel. Here ends our readings from the first chapter of John. Uh, there's a response of thankfulness that's printed for you in your bulletin. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Uh, you see here, our gospel lesson is entitled this morning, Jesus is the Christ. What is the Christ? Again, we're looking at why John wrote this gospel. And he said he wrote it that we would believe or be assured that the Christ is Jesus or Jesus is the Christ. Um, why is that important? And what does that mean is what we're asking this morning. And we'll, we'll answer this in, in two parts this morning and, and next week as well. Um, we look at this question, what is the Christ? Um, you know, there's something essential, um, central, tremendously important for you to understand um, if you're going to understand the Gospel of John. Um, he deals with certain things, not many things, but certain things over and over again, and he's teaching these points, and we can you know, just skim over them um, like on a, a jet ski or on, on water skis, you know, just skimming over the water and not really realizing what this is. And we can use words a lot when we're Christians and we're talking Bible and theology, words that we say and that are common to us. But if somebody said, what's that mean? We'd say, I don't know. I mean, it means what it means. Uh, and so we're looking at this this key word for so we understand when John writes the rest of the gospel, what he means and what the significance is of this one particular uh, word. It's important to understand. Um, and as we spill out the rest of this gospel, um, this word um, and this bleeds into the rest of the New Testament as well. Uh, this is a word that, that goes into the rest of the New Testament, used in probably every New Testament book, and we can skim over it again, like on water skis over the water without realizing what it's saying and what it's communicating and what it's teaching us about Jesus. Um, it's an understanding the church in the United States has been robbed of um, for um, a long time, um, and most Christians walk through life being faithful Christians, but impoverished of this of this understanding, which is the central thing that John is talking about in his gospel. And that is, here's the essential thing you need to understand: what is the Christ, or what is the Messiah? What are those words, and what does that mean? Um, you know, we can we can joke about. Um, you know, that Christ is Jesus' last name. Ha, 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 right? Um, is, it, is it just a, a title, a word? Um, what's associated with that word? And we don't, want to, we don't want to ask the question or think about in the way of this is what I've always thought. If you've been in the church for a long time, you know that is, you know, that gets the, the, the thing, you know, on the family feud, the, the big X is there. Um, we don't care what we just thought. We don't care what we've always heard. What do we care about? What the Bible says. What the Bible is teaching. And that's why we had our, our preparation verse this morning from the Bereans. They're an example to us. And Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts in chapter 17 there, you know, he says, you know, the Thessalonians, there was, there was a small group of believed, but 
most of them, the Jews, just get mad and they kick Paul out of town. And he has to run out of town. And then he arrives in Berea and Luke makes this comment that the Bereans were more noble in character than the Thessalonians who just said, you're saying something we haven't heard before. Get out. But the Bereans listen to Paul and they say, you're saying something we haven't heard before. And you see what it says there in your bulletins. And they search the scriptures to see if these things were true. Because it didn't matter what the Pharisees said versus what Paul said. Who cares? What matters is what the scriptures say. And if someone happens to be in line with the scriptures, great. But what we're really designed to do is not to follow, you know, Paul or Apollos or, you know, some, some person, but we're designed to follow what the scriptures uh, say are true. And so the essential thing that we need to understand as we look at the book of John is what the words Christ and Messiah mean. Uh, so uh, John wants you to know something. Uh, first of all, here, you're number one in your outline there. Know that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, Jesus is the Christ. That's his point. John 20, verse 31. Um, A there in your outline, this is what John seeks to show in his gospel. At the end of the gospel, he says, here's what I've Here's been my aim through everything I've written that you might believe that the Christ is Jesus. Look no further. Um, again, written to Jews. Look no further for another Christ to come along. Don't wonder if Jesus is the Christ or not, if you still need to be looking for a Christ. But no, Jesus is the Christ. Look no further. Uh, and B, um, so it's important for us to understand since this is John's purpose in the, in the gospel, it's important for us to understand, that's your blank, John's and the Bible's definition of the word Christ. We don't want it to just be a religious term for us, uh, like salvation and redemption. We want to understand what that means. Uh, so we want to understand what the word Christ means. Now see, and uh, you can, um, you know, we... we um, let me just say it. We misdefine it. We misdefine it. Um, I spent most of my Christian life misdefining it. Uh, we misdefine it. So, and because we misdefine it, when we approach the Gospel of John, um, we don't understand it. Um, we we miss John's. Or here's your blank main point. John stated for us. My main point is that you understand that the Christ is Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. And so we don't want to understand that because then when we read the rest of the gospel, we say, oh, here's how he's proving. Here's how he's assuring us that Jesus is the Christ. And that's, that's good news for us. So we misdefine it. Uh, we don't get the main point of John's gospel. So this morning we're spending some time getting this important term, understanding this central term in scripture so we can understand God's John, God's and John's point throughout this book, but also in scripture. John's definition of the Christ or the Messiah is not any different than the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's the same as every other book. It's not distinct. But the thing is, when John was writing, everybody knew the definition. And we're 20 centuries off. And so we don't know the definition. Um, 
So number two, number two. First of all, realize the terms Christ and Messiah. Realize the terms Christ and Messiah are defined by us today in the 21st century. They're defined by us in a way the Bible doesn't define them. Okay, if you ask 100 people on the street, what does Christ mean? You'll probably get 100 wrong answers, unless you're talking to one of you, maybe now and hopefully all of you after the, the next couple of weeks. Um, so A, often, often Christ and Messiah are mistakenly, that's your blank there, mistakenly thought of as, now, I'm going to say some things. I don't, I want you to relax. This is me. Okay. You know me. And I've been here 23 years and, and nobody's been, uh, nobody's left the church because I've taught falsehood ever before. And so just, just relax and you'll see that what I'm teaching here is stuff you agree with. I'm just, I'm just getting at what the definition of Messiah and Christ is. Okay. So just, Bear with me for about 90 seconds here, okay? Just, that's, that's, by the way, kids, that's the secret in academics too. When you don't understand something, stay calm. <laughs> Just stay calm. Don't say, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, then the teacher says something to you, the next sentence that you would have gotten it by, but you're busy saying, I don't get it. And so then you don't get it. So just stay calm here for 90 seconds. Often Christ and Messiah are mistakenly thought of as describing uh, as only describing one, O-N-E, one unique person in all of history. So you got to stay calm here. <laughs> Jesus is a unique person in all of history, but just stay calm here. As describing that these terms, Christ and Messiah are describing one unique person in all of history, a fully unique figure, a fully unique figure who has no precedent, Nothing like him before. No one ever filling his job description. Who has no precedent nor likeness in the Old Testament. But is utterly distinct. That's your next blank there. Utterly distinct from any Old Testament persons. Utter, so this is the common view of things. This is what I grew up thinking. This is what as a believer I, I believed for a long time. Utterly distinct from any Old Testament persons because, going on, because Christ is thought to mean the one and only, that's your blank, the one and only figure who is God and came to earth and became man in order to die on a cross, again, remain calm, in order to die on a cross and save his people from their sins. Okay, so I'll go through that again. Often Christ the Messiah mistakenly thought of as describing one unique person in all of history, a fully unique figure who has no precedent or likeness in the Old Testament, but is utterly distinct from any Old Testament persons because Christ is thought to mean the one and only figure who is God and came to earth and became man in order to die on a cross to save his people from their sins. Now, okay, you're going to be able to relax here. Another sentence. Uh, all that I just said is true about Jesus. Everything I just said is true about Jesus. 
Um, he did come from heaven. He is eternal God. He did come to save you and all his people from their sins. He did come to die on a cross. He says this. We see these things that are true about him. We declared it as our faith and our, our um, confessing our faith this morning. Who's the only redeemer of God's elect? Eternal God who remains, who comes and takes on human flesh, becomes man and remains God and man in two distinct natures in one person forever. This is all true stuff that we see in A. Okay. Um, but um, throughout this gospel lesson, throughout this in ser series in the gospel of John, um, You'll come to understand the Trinity better and to begin to understand what God did for you through Jesus coming to earth better um, if you divorce Christ and Messiah from that stuff we've just said that's absolutely true of Jesus. Okay? So B, let's talk about this. What's wrong with that? Uh, thinking that Christ and Messiah are all these things. Okay, what's wrong with that? I see the nervousness. That's good. That means you're not heretics. Um, it's true, true. This is B. What's wrong with that? It's true truths, but it's a wrong definition of the words Christ and Messiah. Those words aren't dealing with these truths. All these things are true about Jesus, but the word Christ and the word Messiah don't talk, aren't talking about these truths. It, it's like, you know, looking at the uh, Tennessee Titans football team and saying banana there is a Tennessee Titans football team, but they're not described by the term banana. But we've said banana means the Tennessee Titans football team, and it doesn't. Um, right, I know Randy knows Steve Martin. It's like teaching a kid to, t to talk wrong, <laughs> giving him wrong word definitions for stuff. Um, so see, going on. Um, so first of all, what's wrong with that? It's true truths, true truths, but wrong definitions of Messiah and Christ. See, what is true? Well, what's true is Jesus is, that's your blank, he is in fact eternal God. That's John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is eternal God. Or Paul reaffirms that in, in Philippians 2, Six, where he says, Jesus being in the very nature God did not regard equality with God, that is, staying up in heaven, receiving glory, being acknowledged universally by all around him as God, but he gives that up for our sake while remaining God and coming to earth. Um, but Jesus is, in fact, eternal God. So that's 1 1 in Philippians 2 6. He, and he did come to earth. He took on flesh. That's 1, verse 14. Uh, Philippians 2, 7 and 8. Um, 1, 14 says he took, the word became flesh. Uh, Paul puts it this way. He became, uh, he humbled himself and became a servant. Um, so he became man, took on flesh, became man. That's your next blank. While remaining fully God. So Jesus, when he becomes man, does not give up his deity. He is still fully God. The second person of the Trinity from all eternity is now encapsulated, so to speak, 
Um, he's taken on to himself human flesh, human nature, while remaining God. He didn't put God on the. He didn't put his divinity on the shelf when he came to the earth. Okay, and the church has stamped that out through the scriptures for centuries. And if you disagree with that, you're a heretic. <laughs> That's just what the the church has determined there, that Jesus, during his incarnation, this is how he knows certain things. This is how he knows Nathaniel was sitting under that tree and he saw that because Jesus, as a human being, remained omniscient, knowing everything while he was tabernacling with us, while he was dwelling with us. Chapter uh, chapter one, verse 14. Okay, so this stuff is all true. Okay, all these things that we believe, they're all true. They're all backed up. They're all backed up by scripture. So Jesus, eternal God, came to earth, took on flesh, became man while remaining fully God to save people from their sins. So that's what Joseph is, is told. Um, this child, Mary, will give birth to a child and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Their sins. So these things are all true of Jesus, and we need all of these things. So D, what's the wrong definition? Um, what do we mean by that? Christ and Messiah do not mean these true things. Okay, so that's what we're saying. We're saying, you know, there's Tennessee Titans. There's there's all these things that are true in, in C and in A. They're all true. We absolutely need all those things. And the words Christ and Messiah do not refer to those things. Other things in Scripture refer to those things where it teaches that. Okay, a number three. Number three. Know the words Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. These two words mean the same thing. Christ and Messiah. Um, a, uh, Messiah. We'll talk about that first. Messiah. It's the untranslated Hebrew. So you knew you knew a Hebrew word, Messiah. It's a Hebrew word. Um, it's an untranslated Hebrew, which is the Old Testament language. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, except a little portion of Daniel was in Aramaic. Um, it's an untranslated Hebrew word that means, you know it, anointed one. So that's what Messiah means. It doesn't mean son of God. It doesn't mean um, son of God become man. It doesn't mean savior of the world. It means anointed one. Um, now, again, Jesus is the only one by whom you can be saved. He is eternal God. It's just Messiah doesn't refer to that. As we get that clear, as we go through the gospel of John, then we can see what John is talking about. And be clear and not bring in this whole baggage of stuff, a whole suitcase full of stuff that John's not talking about in each particular passage where he mentions where he mentions Messiah and Christ, which is his reason for writing the book. So um, Messiah is the untranslated Hebrew Old Testament language word that means anointed one. Um, number one. Uh, so when an Old Testament priest or prophet in the Old Testament, anointed, that's your word, anointed someone or something, it says in Hebrew that he messiahed him. So write the word messiah and ed. 
It literally says that. And if you look and you can read Hebrew letters, you see the you see the M and you see the E and you see the the the, the sh uh, sound there. It's a shin and and the and the I and the A and the H there. Um, and and that's it's the verb form of Messiah. And so when the priest is anointing anointing something in the temple, or like Moses is anointing Aaron in the priesthood, um, it uses this word, and it says they they messiahed them. Okay, they anointed them because the word just means anointed. Uh, it, it doesn't mean he's son of God, uh, Godded them. <laughs> it means he anointed them because that's what the word Messiah means. Um, number two, uh, the person anointed, the person anointed by the priest or the prophet, that is the anointed one, was called in the Old Testament, the Messiah. You see how we don't use that term today the way the Bible uses that term today? So let me repeat that. The person anointed by a priest or prophet, the anointed one in the Old Testament, the language it's using, the language God inscripturates by his Holy Spirit through the prophets who wrote the books of the Old Testament, it says they are the Messiah, the anointed one. Why? Because they've just been anointed by a prophet or a priest. Here's your blank. 38 times in the Old Testament, someone is called a Messiah and it's talking not about Jesus. It's talking about a priest. It's talking about a prophet. It's talking about a king. It's talking about a, a real historical person. Um, so that's your 30 in your parentheses there. 38 times in the Old Testament, Messiah is used of real historical people who are not Jesus. So see how you need to divorce this term Messiah from meaning the unique Son of God, eternally existing, who's the Savior of the world. Jesus is that, the unique Son of God, eternally existing, Savior of the world. But that's not what the term Messiah means. You've got 38 people called Messiahs in the Old Testament, and it's not communicating that they are the Son of God. And so we don't say, well, that sounds upsetting to me. We say, wow, I've really got my view of what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word Messiah, right? We don't make the Bible change to what we thought. We let the Bible change what we think. Like Bereans. We don't say, I've never heard that before. We say, 38 people in the Old Testament are called the Messiah? Boy, I've certainly got my definition of Messiah incorrect. I will change and I will not make the Bible change because I'm fallible and the Bible is not. Okay. Um, number three. So I, I've said this kind of already. This did not mean that is when a person who's anointed in the Old Testament is called the Messiah in the Bible, called the Messiah, and he's not Jesus. This does not, this did not mean, that's your blank, not. The anointed person was then the divine son of God come to earth to save his people from their sins. It merely meant the person was anointed. And that's all the Old Testament meant, meant when it called one of those 38 people the Messiah. It just meant he was anointed. Because a prophet or a priest had anointed him. Okay. See how this is going to have impact for you as you read the New Testament? 
And when it calls Jesus the Messiah, ah, oh, that means something different than just assuming that was a unique person who's never existed before. Because at least 38 people, in fact, it's as you understand the term, prophets, priests, and kings were all anointed people. And so it's way more than 38 people in the Old Testament were messiahs. Um, but they were anointed to a certain thing. Okay, on to B. B. Christ. Not dealing with the word Christ. Christ is the untranslated Greek word. So Messiah is the untranslated Hebrew word. So when you say Messiah, you're saying a Hebrew word. When you say Christ, you are saying a Greek word. Christ is not an English word. It's a Greek word that English translators decided not to translate. Just like Messiah is a Hebrew word that English translators decided not to translate. And what they did, instead of translating it, instead of saying like fromage, another Steve Martin reference there, right? Omelette du fromage. Instead of saying fromage, you know, if you translate that into English from French, it's cheese. But if you don't want to translate it, you just say fromage. And that's what English translators did with did with the words Messiah and Christ, except in in some some specific instances. You see in the book of Acts, uh, I think it's Paul preaching one time and he speaks of the anointed one. But it's just the word Christ and the English translators just there in that instance translated the word to anointed one instead of just keeping it as as Messiah or Christ. So Christ is the untranslated B. Christ is the untranslated Greek word. New Testament language. The New Testament was written in Greek. That means, guess what? Anointed one. Okay, so if you're speaking Hebrew and you want to say the anointed one, what word do you say? Messiah. Okay, if you're speaking Hebrew, you want to say anointed one, you say Messiah. If you're speaking Greek and you want to say the anointed one, what word do you say? Christ. Okay, good. Um, so number one, Christ was thus the Greek word that translated the Old Testament Hebrew word, Messiah. So in about 300 uh, BC, um, there were a lot of God's people, uh, Hebrew Jewish people down in Egypt, and they had been brought down there by Alexander the Great, the great uh, Greek leader. Um, and so they were exiled off to there. And they were all Greek-speaking down there, and so they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And so there's a whole uh, Old Testament that's been translated into Greek. And in Greek, when the word Messiah is there, they write the word Christos, or Christ, there. Okay? Uh, and so you see, um, you see this as John is, is going through here. Look at verse 41 in John 1. Now, John is writing to Jewish people who have become Christians. They're very much in the Roman world, um, probably in what was Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And so he's writing to these Jewish people who have become Christians, but there are also Gentiles in the churches. And so John gives these little, as we'd say today, shout-outs to the Gentiles, and he explains things to them that non-Jewish people wouldn't get. And so you see this here in verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. Now, John's primary audience, the people he's writing to, Jewish people who have become Christians, they all know what that means. We found the anointed one. But he's also got Gentiles 
in these churches he's writing to in, in Turkey of the day. And so he puts in parentheses there, that is the Christ. He's just translating it from Hebrew to Greek. Same thing, that is the Christ. Okay, um, and so you'll see these things in John where he gives little explanatory things in parentheses because he's got this secondary uh, Gentile audience there. So Christ was the Greek word that translated the Old Testament Hebrew word Messiah. Uh, number two, B2 there. That's what you were thinking. Um, thus in our English Bibles, both Messiah and Christ simply mean anointed one. That's what Christ means. That's what Messiah means. They simply mean anointed one. So we had English translators back in the days of the, the Geneva Bible and the, the, uh, um, uh, the old King, the King James created in 1611 or 1609, I forget which, um, under King James I. Had they, you know, just translating into English, had they said, you know what, let's translate this word. Um, we would be reading today, Jesus the Anointed One, instead of Jesus Christ. Um, because it would be translated. But the English translators, just for whatever reason back then, decided not to translate the Greek word Christ. And often they decided not to transfer the, or translate the Hebrew word Messiah when it was used um, here. And you can see here in verse 41 why that's a, a good decision, at least. Um, uh, that Andrew says to his brother, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. If you would just translate the, the Hebrew word used there and the Greek word there, it would read, uh, we have found the anointed one, that is the anointed one. <laughs> and it wouldn't make much sense to us. Uh, and they could have done a number of things there. They could have said, you know, uh, the English translators, uh, we have found the Messiah, that is the anointed one. Or they could have said, we have found the anointed one, that is the Christ. Um, but they decide to just keep it there. And, uh, but, but they could have just translated the word instead of transliterating it or just keeping it the same with the same letters um, there. Like when we have a, a, a word from a, a foreign language that we use. You, those of you who are old enough know the Nixon word detente. Okay, as a French, a French word that just, we just used it in, in its French form instead of translating it, which meant cooling off. Um, so um, uh, no C going on. Um, know that Jesus is all the things in 2A. Okay, so look back up in 2A. Um, he, he is um, the one and only uh, figure who Jesus is, the one and only figure who is God that came to earth. No one else who's ever walked on this earth was eternal God walking on the earth. Um, no one else who's ever walked on the earth was God who became man, only Jesus. Um, no one else came to die for your sins. Only Jesus. Um, no one else intentionally came to die on a cross to save you eternally. That's only Jesus. And all these things are true. All these things are true of Jesus. So know that Jesus is all the things in 2A above. But here's the big, you know, 
let's Pee Wee Herman, let's talk about your big butt. So here, <laughs> so here's the big butt. Um, but keep these things, these truths about Jesus, eternal God, um, only saved, only name given among men by which men may be saved. The one who bears our sins on the cross. Keep these things away from your mind when you see the word Christ and when you see the word Messiah so that you can understand what the author of Scripture is communicating to you. He's communicating to you anointed one there. And you don't want to substitute the writer's meaning, the inspired Holy Spirit meaning of Christ and Messiah with something else that's also true, like Moses was God's leader for the people when they were leaving Egypt. That's also true, but you don't want to insert that into the word Christ, because that's not what the word Christ means. Okay? And so likewise, you don't want to insert all these things that are true of Jesus, in fact, into the word Christ and into the word Messiah when you when you read it. Um, I know this is a lot, we're doing grammar here. You know, those of you those who know your you know classical, you know, Christian education, that kind of thing. We're doing grammar here so that you can understand as we go through John, and so you can understand as you read the Old Testament, you can understand when you read the New Testament when it uses the word anointed Christ and Messiah, so you, you just focus in on that and understand it for what it means instead of something that you've imposed upon those words. Not your fault, you've been taught that. Okay. Um, so know that Jesus is these things in 2A above, but keep those things away from your mind when you see Christ, that's your blank, or Messiah in the New Testament. Um, number one, the two words aren't referring to the true things about Jesus stated in 2A. So Christ and Messiah aren't talking about those things. And number two, God... More importantly, God was not communicating those two A things whenever he inscripturated the words Christ and Messiah. Now, God talks plenty about those things in 2A throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament. In fact, he just when he uses the word Christ and Messiah, he's not getting at those things. That's not what he's communicating through those through those words. Um, so what God, what, what is God communicating when he inscripturates Christ and Messiah? Uh, what does Jesus uh, mean when he uses the term Christ and Messiah? Um, what do other people in the Old Testament, and we'll see different people uh, throughout the Gospel of John saying, could he be the Christ? Could he be the Messiah? And discussing this matter. What do they mean when they say that? What are they getting at when they say that? Um, what does John mean when he uses these terms and then says at the end of this gospel, I want you to believe that Jesus is the anointed one. What's he talking about there? So summary, um, summary for now. I don't, we'll, we'll get much more into adding substance and, and meat on these bones. Just know the basic term Christ and, and Messiah mean the anointed one. The next question is, well, anointed one, what's that do for me? What's that do for me? Who's anointed? And why should that be important 
Why does John say believing that Jesus is the anointed one, that my eternal life depends on that, that I get this right, who the anointed one is? We'll talk about this more next week. So summary, summary. John writes his gospel book to prove that Jesus is the Christ. That's John 20, 31. John writes his gospel book to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And then the Messiah and the Christ both mean what? The anointed one. The Messiah and the Christ both mean the anointed one. I know that sounds really stripped down now, but we want to strip that down, right, Steve? We're talking about stripping things down that we believed before and then building us back up with what the Bible teaches about these things. And that's what we'll do next next week. We'll, we'll, we'll say, what, is, what does God mean? What do the people mean when they call Jesus or, or question if he could be the anointed one? Um, so the Messiah and the Christ both mean the anointed one and refer to Jesus being, here are your blanks, next week. <laughs> um, so those are your blanks next week. But I'll tell you, I was, I, was, I was in bed last night falling asleep and I thought, I had a, Christ, a, a crisis of conscience, and I thought, oh, I'll tell him. So here's what it means, king, king. And so we'll talk about that, and we'll see how through and through, in the Gospel of John, in the Old Testament, and everywhere else in the New Testament, when it says Christ, when it says Messiah, it means, who's the anointed one? The anointed one is the king. And so next week we'll talk about that and we'll, we'll, we'll see that so that you become convinced through and through in your biblical understanding. So when you see the term Christ, when you see the term Messiah, you're thinking king. The anointed one is the king. The one who gets anointed is the king. And then you're also able to answer what we'll talk about next week. Why is that good news that Jesus is the anointed one, the king? Why is that good news? Why is that Jesus' message? Why do we rejoice over that? We don't rejoice over that because we don't understand it. A lot of you, you guys understand it because you've been in the church for a while. Um, but, but this is good news for us. So let's pray. Our God and Father, we are grateful to you that you sent Jesus from your side in heaven. And Jesus, we are thankful that you abandon your shown glory in heaven um, and, and covered it in large part, taking the form of a servant, becoming man, taking on flesh, dwelling among us, being insulted by us and others saying, well, you don't understand this, Jesus. <laughs> um, thank you for doing that for us, for the purpose of being our king. We are glad, Jesus, that you are eternal God, come to earth, the only savior of men and women, boys and girls, the only name by which we may be saved, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who came to give your life as a ransom for many, to die on a cross for our sins, for our forgiveness. We're grateful for this. Help us and teach us and, and renew and reshape our minds um, to understand uh, what this term Christ 
and its uh, parallel term Messiah, the anointed one, means and why that is good news, Father, that Jesus is the anointed one for us. Um, teach us, make our minds accurately view your scriptures, um, that we would grow in our understanding of you and in uh, grasping a greater depth of the good news, the gospel. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.